Welcome back, everybody. How's it going out there? Hope it's going well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, of course, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing great. I need to come up with a new intro. I feel like every single time I started with the same exact thing. Well, I'll just have have a day where I'm not feeling great. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Every time though, I'm like, welcome back or all right, we're ready to get started. But anyways, we hope everyone's having a good day out there. Um, You are listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the podcast side of our business. The other side is uh, where we and users, members write about ideas, uh, investing ideas, mm-hmm. stock um, write ups yeah. on, on value oriented stuff, quality stuff, more long term compounding of business, hence the name Focus Compounding. It's a growing community of fund managers, uh, professional investors, individual investors, sort of all over the map. Yep. Um, so it's, there's a lot of talent there that blog at Focus Compounding. So be sure to check us out. If you do sign up, use the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and you will get $10 off your subscription price as long as you stay a member mm-hmm. and it's uh it's it's a lot of fun so again we want to thank everybody for tuning in today we're going to be talking about habits okay um and i think it's an interesting topic i know you get asked about it a lot constantly it's, it's sort of a topic that i think uh is even you know sort of still interesting to me mm-hmm. i think because you're always looking to improve on whatever it is that you're doing sort of when i actually when i ask when i talk to a lot of investors that's a lot of my uh, my sort of starter questions is what are you what do you do right what's right. your process like mm-hmm. uh, when you first learn about a stock does do you screen for a stock or do you you know first go to their website or are you just familiar with the company do you read about it of course there's no black and white answer I feel like sometimes ideas just jump out at you that get you curious and then you sort of venture into it but the topic of um, you know habits and I guess how to be on the path to being a successful investor, mm-hmm. whatever that means, because I guess that's subjective um, to each individual, um, is is definitely an interesting topic. So, habits. So, what are some habits that you religiously try to follow for yourself, whether they have a good outcome or not, but ones that you think um, are just good to sort of employ in your investing process? So, okay, so let's say with figuring out a stock like where do you do you do you screen for stocks regularly do they you just read about blogs or on blogs or from twitter or what do you think so well so here's this thing that i do um all the time which i do do religiously and i mentioned it in the um sunday morning memo that i sent out recently um it's that i in the week ahead i put down a list of all the stocks that i'm going to read about one per day so no matter what I do, no matter how busy or whatever my day gets, there's a time where I sit down with a specific stock, usually the 10K, but it can be an investor presentation or something like that, and I just spend it reading that one stock. And it's something I pick out ahead of time. So it allows me to sort of actively choose what I'm researching and not just read whatever um, articles and things I find that day. Because mm-hmm. they sort of try to keep separate the passive finding all these ideas, like hearing about everything, reading blogs, and then actually the sort of pile of reading material. Do you print this material off? Do I you do. read it on your computer? I print it. Yeah, and I think that's good because you know we're in such a connected world, and this mm-hmm. is something that I've really um, honed in on the past, I would say, year and a half, is really trying to block all of the noise mm-hmm. out. I mean, it's so easy to get caught up on um you know, obviously the internet and clicking social media, Twitter, you know, sure. whatever. So I, so you do print out all this. Yeah. So like, for example, like a 10 K or even like print investor presentations and print it out. So you close, turn the phone over, you know, mm-hmm. close the, There's a good book out there called deep work. 
I think yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Did you yeah. enjoy that book? I think you wrote about it. You didn't. Uh, I no, I enjoy the book. I enjoy the concept a lot. Yeah, I think it's a really important idea. Yeah, basically, it's just you could learn a lot more if you're just tune everything out pretty much. Sure, and that that's how I do researching a stock. Yeah, the the phone is off. Um, they say yeah. even if it's in your you know, like your peripheral vision, like you're still yeah, thinking, no, you're I subconsciously agree. thinking about. It, so so leave the phone in a different room. Mm-hmm. Take off that Apple Watch if you have it. Sure. Shut the computer off. Go in a room mm-hmm. with just a light and a pen or a pencil. Yeah. And then just, you know, sort of read like that. Yeah. yeah. And I use a calculator that I have from 20 years ago instead of a calculator on my phone or on a computer, mm-hmm. which is what you'd be tempted to do yeah. all the time because my calculator can only be used as a calculator. Yeah, sure. The other things obviously can can be used in different ways. That's the reason why I print it out. It's not some magical thing about print, obviously. It's that I can do a lot of other things on my computer. There'll be distractions there. Yeah. And, and and for people, I mean, like my generation, mm-hmm. I guess, is maybe more prone to um, focus. I don't want to say issues, but just because sort of the attention span of, you know, social media and everything may be yeah. different than like you who you're older. And I guess sure. your whole life, you didn't have all of the um, s- stimulus, I guess you could say. Right. So for those who are listening that are in sort of that 20 uh, year old range. I'm 22. Mm-hmm. Um, it is focus. I always say focus is like a muscle. I think, mm-hmm. you know, the more you practice it, the better you get. And mm-hmm. the more you practice it, you realize that all this noise doesn't really matter. No one cares. I mean, what you're doing. So you shouldn't really care what they're, you're doing, mm-hmm. you know? So just, you know, turn, tune it all out. You'll, I think you'll really improve on that. But so anyway, so, so you print it out yep. and what do you do? You, I know you, we wrote up a post on this on the, mm-hmm. on the podcast it was, or on the website. It was, uh, becoming a better investor, mm-hmm. 110K after another, something along those lines. Yeah. Uh, but so you mark up every single page, right? Yes. Or what you find relevant. Right. And I underline, I write all over it. I write a lot over it. Um, right on the page, uh, sort of just calculations of all the things I take, notes that I take, guesses about a lot of things. It's more my thinking. If you, if you read it, it wouldn't so much be notes that are helpful about what's in it, as much as they're notes that are like, okay, well, they said this, this much must mean... Um, you know, whatever else, or it's a reminder to me to check certain things, a reminder to look up this customer, a reminder to search for um, how they did in a certain year, all sorts of things like that. A lot of math. Yeah. And what I do is I, um, so I print out like a 10K mm-hmm. and then I also have a separate pad of paper Okay, and I kind of draw a line, I guess, not in the middle, but I, what I do is, is when I'm reading the 10K, if I find something interesting, mm-hmm. I will write down the page number I'll underline it, of course, on the 10K mm-hmm. or, or write up on it or whatever. But then on the pad of paper, I also write down the page number and then just sort of like a brief summary or like a brief question to sort of reference in the right. back. Or it could even be like, oh, page 60, they talk about their customers here. Just mm-hmm. something, you know, so that's sort of my my process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you, um, okay, so you, you're studying a 10K and a, um, or a presentation Let's say this is a company that you say, okay, I really want to dive deep in into this sure. business. What do you do from there? Well, one thing I do, I notice a lot of people don't do, is if I read a 10K, and even if that's the first thing I've ever done about this company is read this 10K, I come up with an appraisal value for the company at the end of it. That's the job of what you're doing. You have to come to some sort of active conclusion about it. Now, this is a first guess that you're going to refine over time. But so you write down, and I think this company is worth $60. And more importantly, you write down the method of why. So I think it's worth this many times sales or this many times book or this, you know, whatever. And so you have this method there. And you could be wrong about that. You could prove yourself wrong later that this guess was totally wrong. 
but you've now grounded in something that you can test, you know, with all your research from then on. So you have this thing to use in figuring out whether you should keep researching the stock and what you need to know now. Mm-hmm. So, and I do um, initial interest posts at um, their stock reps that I do at Focus Compounding. I do one a week. And some members have said that they're more useful than when I write about stocks that are good ideas. When I write about them and just say, you know, I pass on this one. But you'll notice that I do that where I do something like I looked at uh, GE and I said, okay, well, what could these two parts of the business be worth? And could it add up? So in that case, it was um, power and and, and aviation because I knew they were two of the biggest parts of the business. So if they added up to be 100% of the stock price or something, well, there was all this other stuff that GE had. So maybe it would be interesting. But if they, but if those two biggest parts couldn't add up to what the market cap is now, then I'm going to drop the stock right now. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like what we did with Howard Hughes Corporation, mm-hmm. wasn't it? We, I mean, obviously it's a very complicated company. Sure, I some guess. things are you have huge values, yeah. and then some are pretty small. So, so what maybe it, Summerlin or something is really big, and um, uh, I forget where they were in um, uh, the seaport in in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the, some of those things there was the the uh, some land that they had in Hawaii, some things like that we knew would be really big parts of the the business. Mm-hmm. But then there were other things that they owned, and we just said, well, if we don't get anywhere near the value from these, then it's not important to calculate what these little things are. So it's almost like we backed it out in a way, kind of different mm-hmm. backwards, yeah. Sure. Yeah. And do you think, um, so you think individuals, when they do study uh, the 10K, I mean, no matter what, even if they don't feel fairly certain about it, they should try to praise it. Yes, and then and they won't. Even and, hearing this, I know that they won't. Yeah, they they for whatever reason, I don't know if without checking the stock too, correct? Yeah, I mean that's ideally that's what you do. Yeah. That's ideally what you do if if you haven't seen the stock. And of course, for the spinoff or something, you won't know. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't seen the stock or an IPO, you won't know technically. Um, but you have a pretty good guess where they're going to try to price it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean it's best if you haven't seen the stock price. I always mention there's a great clip. I'm pretty sure it's talking to Fox Business News of Warren Buffett talking about PetroChina. So you got to go online and Google something about Warren Buffett, PetroChina, where he talks about basically how he just, without checking the stock price, Mm -hmm. uh, looked at what it was worth and came to a conclusion about it, and then he checks the stock price afterwards. That's the idea. No, and and to confirm that, Alice Alice Schroeder, she wrote The Snowball, Mm -hmm. she actually, she did an Ask Me Anything series mm-hmm. on reddit and it was i mean it was actually it was really good and and it was pretty much everyone was asking a bunch of questions about warren buffett mm-hmm. and she pretty much confirmed that that's exactly what he did like he's fairly simple in his process he just reads a 10k marks it up certain questions about things then he tries valuing it and then he goes and checks the stock price and see if it's anywhere in the same that's ballpark the best way to do it yeah. yeah because then you remove all the biases of of what other people are thinking of what the market's thinking you know etc yeah, that's the thing to start with, is to see how close it is between your appraisal value of the stock and what it's trading at now. Because people tend to have these, like, um, what happens otherwise is you sort of get these positive or negative feelings about the stock while you're reading about it. And then you kind of um, decide that, oh, well, I'm a little bit more positive than the market is. Or I'm a little bit more negative or whatever. And you sort of try to gauge it that way. That's how people talk about it a lot, you know. And it, that's not the best way to do it. The best way to do it really is to not try to see if you have a contrarian view or something from the market, but to really put the market aside is only giving you a quote that all the market is good for is telling you 
here's what the price that we'll buy or sell at, you know? If you come up with a, so after you appraise it yourself, mm -hmm. right, and you come up with a price that's completely not in the same ballpark as where the market's at, right. do you sort of go and see what other people are, are saying about the business on why? Or like, for example, like, let's say you think it's worth um, 20, right? And it's today it's at like eight and people are, are writing about it going down to three or it's overvalued or whatever. Do you try to understand like the bear case and then sort of figure out from there or what's your process with that? That's interesting. In the past, I did more. When we did the newsletter, we did. Okay. So we have a bunch of reports on, on focus compounding, about two dozen of them. And they're, they're the issues from the old newsletter they did from 2013 to 2016. And we would always look up the any sort of short thesis about the company. Um, honestly, they weren't helpful. Um, and sometimes they were harmful. If you read a bad one, then it can make you confident, more confident because you know that the, the short case is not good. Um, so I, I don't know that that's helpful, but that's doing a lot of research into it. I do look for, um, I, well, I don't know about that. I was going to say, I do look for is trying to explain why the market might think that, um, a stock should be so cheap now, you know, like, uh, the, the one that would really show now is ad agencies. So I would look at ad agencies, come up with an appraisal and it would be a lot higher. So I think we talked about Omnicom or something. I don't know. Right now, as I'm talking, Omnicom might be a $70 stock and I had it at a hundred or something like that in terms of appraisal. That doesn't sound that big, but Omnicom is a huge stock and ad agencies normally trade pretty close to their intrinsic value. You know, it's a pretty efficient market for them. So that is weird that that would happen, especially in an expensive market. And I just assume that it's because of things like Facebook and Google and stuff. And I wrote a, a post sort of about that. Um, but I have no idea if that's really true or not. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, okay. So when you, after the process of you saying, okay, this is interesting. I want to do more work mm -hmm. on it. What do you do from there? Do you fire up Excel and then input data? Do you just sort of read every single 10K? What's that process like? I'll 10 put, Qs, what? I'll put data in Excel before I finish reading a 10K. Okay. Okay. Because um, very quickly I'm trying to figure out whether I should follow up on this thing and whether it's attractive. I'm trying to see if the numbers make sense. So I was looking at a business recently um, where it, it is a cyclical stock and it was losing money this past year. So I needed to know what kind of years would it need in the future to be cheap. And so I had to figure out, well... You know, this last time it had a boom. What what years were those, and will this ever be repeated? And what happened there is, I, so I hadn't even read the whole annual report yet. I went into Excel and did this, and I put in 20 years of data that I got from the different annual reports. And what I found is that basically they have to, in some sense, repeat their performance from like um, 2005 to 2015, something like that. The problem is then I said, okay, so why did this happen? And very quickly, I realized the company was involved in um, uh, selling to companies in um, oil and gas in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, oil prices were really high then. So once I know that, then that's what the research is about is will that ever happen again? Was that a fluke? You know, that there was this big boom in oil that's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. So then the, it all becomes about learning about that, you know, and so you quickly zero in on that topic. Interesting. If you were to, if somebody came to you, and I'm sure you get asked often how to become a better investor. If you, what do you think is the best way to do it? And I know we've talked about this. I think you I know your answer. One ten k a day. Yeah, and you praise the stock at the end of it. So it's really just being disciplined. You think and really sticking to. It. I mean, you said that you. And, mm -hmm. 
you said that you, no matter what, how busy your day is, you make a point to, yeah. you read it and, and praise it. Yeah, and that's tough to do because it's never the most urgent thing. Yeah. You could always put it off till tomorrow because there's always stuff to write and read and people you want to respond to and everything that, that is more urgent now. Whatever I had planned, you know, may not seem like the most actionable idea of the moment or anything, mm-hmm. but that's what you do. Do you read a 10K page by page? Like word yeah, from word? Yeah, I, I do read I know a lot of people page. sort of like... Uh, what do they call it? Like fast forward through, yeah, the it, you know. through parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I read the whole thing. Yeah. How do you, do you ever worry about, um, like, do you have some sort of filters for what could look like a sketchy business? Like, do you ever like think like, okay, this, this company could be like a potential fraud. Like, sure. you know, like sometimes yeah. I worry about that. Like, uh, if you're ever going to invest in a company and not something that didn't look like a red flag to you and then you wake up one day and it's on like CNBC or whatever that someone's short people, sellers are a targeting. A lot of people have that fear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't have that fear. Um, That's why I'm so focused. Like I want to study. Sh- I like studying short selling okay. so much because I don't want to wake up one day and be like, wait, this company's a fraud. You know, like I didn't yeah. completely didn't see us. I you know? know. A lot of people have that fear and I can't relate to that one. I was I was actually I was looking on um, I was trying to find just a bunch of case studies on different uh-huh. fraud situations because yeah. I just I think it's good to sort of study like financial frauds mm-hmm. and then you could kind of reverse engineer it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, so I, that's why I was kind of you don't really have a. No, I, I mean, I don't like to talk about frauds, but yeah, I've read 10Ks and said this is a fraud to myself. Yeah. Or something very strange is going on. I mean, I'll talk about that a little bit more. I just want to end the company. But I was looking at a, a company, and, and so I, I've read a lot of 10Ks, so I know what kind of things you'd expect. So that's a, that's what it is. You That's why people, too, get better, need to read a lot of 10Ks, so you when you could spot when things kind of look a bit odd or a bit yeah, sketchy. Yeah, good or yeah. bad. Yeah. You see things that just pop out at you as being uh, unbelievable. I mean, I mentioned one time I was reading an interview by the CEO of George Risk. He's, he's since died, but um, the, so the former CEO of George Risk, but at the time he was the CEO, and um, it was just an interview, but he said that um, the company's, uh, the company's, uh, other companies that competed with them sold the same product at a price that was lower than the material cost for George Risk. So before labor, any of that, and what they were buying in. Uh, I need, but George Risk had more market share than them. As soon as I read that, this said to me, I have to look at this business because something strange going on. George Risk has a really big advantage that I have to understand. Price is not that important here, right? And it's just that one line that you have to read. When we're talking about like frauds or something like that, there's certain things. Uh, I won't name the company, and this isn't necessarily a fraud. It's something that's very strange. And in some ways, it's the opposite of what you would do if you were a fraud. But um, so it's a public company. And I'm reading about it. It owns a bunch of land. It owns a bunch of marketable securities, a bunch of different things like that. And I'm noticing in the uh, list of the notes on depreciation, right, that the years are really fast that they're depreciating something. So, like, like what do so you mean? So, depreciation is listed by category. Uh-huh. And so, it'll say something like vehicles, three to ten years or something, buildings, you know, um, ten to forty years, mm-hmm. whatever the, it is. And so, it'll say all these different things. And so I saw that, and I also saw a really um, a note about how much of the equipment that was still in use had been fully depreciated. It was a very big number. So I said, okay, so they're depreciating things very quickly. That's interesting. Um, and then I saw there was depreciation. They had changed something from one 10K to the next on a particular line of depreciation. Had been so is that, a red, is that a red flag when there's a 
a dramatic trace like it's that. It's weird. You just look yeah. at weird things, whether it's weird good or, or weird yeah. bad. Uh-huh. It wasn't a red flag. It was just a very strange thing. Different, yeah. So I look at that, and so then I said, okay, well, I'll Google the um, a company's property. What I'll actually do is go to the county and find the appraisal records for it. Well, what I found is that they had said that they had made a, they were depreciating something as a leasehold improvement. Okay. Well, what I found by checking the county land records is it was a whole new building. They built a whole new building. Hmm. So they built something that's often depreciated over a very long period of time. A building is depreciated very slowly. They depreciated very quickly because they treat it as a leasehold improvement and they depreciate as quickly as you could that way. Yeah. There was a bunch of different things in the company's uh, annual report that looked like they were trying to minimize taxes and that they didn't care what they were reporting in earnings to to um, shareholders. Sure. But that's weird because most companies don't do that. Most companies try to report the highest possible earnings per share. Sure. Okay. So it's just very strange to see that. And so you don't know that's a fraud or that it isn't a fraud and that there's something that they're doing here that's positive. You know there's a lot more assets in reality than they say. Sure. Okay, because they're depreciating things that we know have value here. Was there any explanation of why they're doing no, it or any question? No explanation of all, any of that stuff there. So, but that's the thing that jumps out at you. Um, and ki- I was asked about a few Chinese frauds and I realized that they were frauds. Um, and in each case, there was a discrepancy in something they were saying about how their business worked that didn't make any sense with the financial results they reported. So in one case, they mentioned that they pay some sort of um, sort of like uh, per volume tax kind of thing, okay? So it's like as if there it was if a car maker said, well, we have to pay a tax uh, for some emissions thing with every car we make or something. So it's they're telling you that it's with every car. It's not value. So they said something like that. And so I said, okay, so they claim that they have sold 100,000 things or whatever, and the tax is X. Uh, well, the number that was in the tax line... Did or, it reflect or that? Or the number that tax line would be in, among other things, was nowhere near 100,000 X. Mm-hmm. So they were probably exaggerating everything in the business by a lot. Hmm. In another case, there was two fast turns. And this is a thing that you would notice um, in terms of... It's not something like people focus on margins and things, but what I would notice more are turns that just seems like receivables or inventory or something is turning really fast. Sure. I would kind of try to wonder how can inventory turn that fast or something mm-hmm. like that. And that was the case. It, there was The turns were absurdly fast for what they described their business as. It just literally didn't make sense that something could happen that quickly. Yeah, so it's like X wasn't equaling out. Like it just didn't something make, yeah. they had not, yeah, so exactly. There was something in the business which was probably a legitimate number and then sales or something was an illegitimate number on top of it, and they weren't adjusting everything up the way that they should have. Hmm. Probably because someone could verify that there was nowhere near that much inventory or nowhere near that much, you know, whatever. Because that's inventory and plant and stuff is stuff that short sellers and things like that could go and say, we can physically see that there's nowhere near that volume being done, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Sales is actually pretty hard to nail down how much a company is selling or not selling if you don't have the financial statements. Sure. You know, but you can definitely say, well, I can look at what the building is, and I can see they don't have piled up enough inventory. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, that's that, that's definitely interesting. Do you think, um, like, good habits? Uh, like, do you do any like further studying on any like finance stuff or accounting stuff to continue to learn, or is it more so like at this point in your career, uh, you're just at the stage of just continue read about so many different new businesses and adding to that toolkit? Accounting that, and stuff. That's how I always did it. I have no background in accounting stuff and and all i know is how to look at 10ks and and how companies tend to report things and stuff not like the theory of how they're supposed to um but just 
tend to be what you see. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So I, I'm used to what a 10K normally looks like and, you know, when it is different, you know, what's unusual about it. Like I'm saying, do you need like a CPA level of accountant to, to, to be able to be like a, a, a good investor, do you think? Or no. Or is it more so just an understanding just how everything kind of relates together and then what could be odd and what could be. Yeah. I mean, you read a lot of 10 Ks and you see what things stand out as being unusual. Mm -hmm. It's only things that are really big items that are surprising and stuff Yeah, uh, that you have to care about. Normally you don't have to care about these things. I remember I was looking at one company and um, people were very impressed by its growth and stuff. It was a Chinese company. Um, And I I did some quick math and realized that literally if you look at the receivables, most of the company's sales had not turned into cash. They were receivables that hadn't been collected yet. Uh-huh. Now, that's an extraordinary thing to have a company that most of the sales are just bills that customers have not paid yet, sure. really, mm-hmm. essentially, is what we're talking about. Um, because we have no idea what those receivables really consist of and stuff. Sure. The, from our perspective, all it is is that you know they, they've, someone says that they're owed this money. Yeah. Um, so that's a shocking thing that you have there. And it was very obvious there because the numbers are just it stands out to you. Mm-hmm. You're used to certain balances when you look at a balance sheet. So in situations like that, when you see like a red, do you just, do you just stick away? Cause obviously you don't really short stocks. You try right? to figure out what it is. Uh, no, I don't short stocks. There, there's stocks that I've, yeah. And I think it's not unusual. I've met other people who say, yeah, I think that's a fraud and stuff. And mm-hmm. I was talking to someone about that recently. Um, there was a list of stocks that I gave them and I said, I hadn't cleaned up this list. Uh, there are three stocks on here that I would manually cross out. Mm-hmm. Um, all three are legitimate businesses. We know they were once legitimate, but two of them, I know the person who's taken them over is some sort of crook basically. Uh-huh. Okay. The companies were legitimate before he, this person took them over, but okay. So avoid those. And in a third case, uh, the auditor was bad. I, I was familiar with the auditor and knew that they had audited some frauds. So, you know, that's just an easy hard pass. Yeah. But some people like that stock a lot. And maybe the stock's wonderful, but I don't like that. There's yeah. an auditor that that's a clearly bad auditor doing it. Interesting. And then when you do invest in the business, um, what are your what's sort of your process from there on out? Well, I, you know, the really good ideas that come to a conclusion pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, like, do you do you read all the ten Qs, the transcripts, news within the business, and and keep up with it like that? I check in daily quotes. Uh, minimal keeping up at all. Yeah. Minimal. Um, it, I, I would pay more attention at the point at which I might consider selling or something. So like right now, the stock I'm most likely to sell is BWX technologies. So I would pay more attention to what's going on with that. And the reason I think about selling is it's gotten expensive. So just because there are other things I'm thinking about buying, I would look at that and pay attention to it and the possibility that, um, uh, so basically just looking for is the performance so great and the guidance so great that I really shouldn't sell this mm-hmm. because absent that, this is a really expensive stock and it would be the first thing I would sell. Um, th- that's usually it. I mean, there's some extraordinary cases. Uh, Weight Watch is an extraordinary case that way um, in which it was really troubled and so I paid more attention to it, I guess. Uh-huh. But I don't normally buy a stock or sell pieces of a stock once I've uh, gotten the position. So I, I do usually know which stock I would sell next. Right mm-hmm. now, the stock I'd sell next is, is BWX. Uh-huh. Interesting. And so if you had to sort of nail it down to, and I know we sort of talked about, right, a couple of things that a newer investor, if they wanted to sort of start their, their journey into investing, what would you tell them on how to, you know, get to the point of, I guess, being 
at least competent in, in the in the subject. Stop reading any books about theory stuff. Don't yeah. read them. Yeah. yeah. I always say listen on Audible. Like if you're going to drive okay. in the car, listen to them. But when you're spending time reading, read 10Ks in annual report. Yeah. Yeah. But also don't be thinking about what's the perfect idea of what a stock should be and what rules should you follow and stuff. Mm-hmm. Look and see the things that hit you over the head that this is the right thing. Because uh-huh. we talk about like should you prefer a wide moat thing or should you prefer a cheap stock or whatever. And if it's a decent business trading at two times earnings, you should prefer the cheap stock. Yeah, sure. If it's a wide moat and, and you know it's a reasonable price but you know that it, it's um, a business that's good forever, you know. Um, then you should prefer uh, the wide moat. That's know? why everyone says investing is an art, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, you have to leave yourself open to those things that are just really obvious in different ways, rather than trying to think about. I mean, if you have a huge portfolio, maybe it's different that way that you can apply these, you know, bigger principles, statistical ideas, and stuff that you read about. But generally, it's just reading a ton of ten Ks, and you'll find that you know you read twenty of them. And it's pretty clear that one of these 20 is a lot more interesting than the other. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's what you focus on. A lot of them fall into the same category of maybe they're expensive, maybe they're cheap. I don't really feel qualified to make a decision one way or the other. And, you know, you forget about those. And that's and okay, though. Yeah. I mean, why should every company you look at be cheap and interesting? If you're not a short seller, the only thing you have to know is, is this something I might buy or is this something I might not buy? Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know at the beginning. Yeah. You know, you don't need to know if it's a good buy for someone else. If you really can tell right away, there's no way I would ever buy this stock, then move on. Mm-hmm. And so so stop reading books. And read, read more 10Ks. 10Ks. And you have to write down your appraisal value. You know, and, and ideally you'd write down too, this is the price where I'd really buy this stock. This uh-huh. is where it'd be really a no-brainer kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, try to get both of those numbers there. But you need to have an appraisal value. This is what I think it's worth. Okay. That's really critical. You have to sit down with a 10K, read it yourself, and then you actually have to commit to a number. Mm-hmm. And that number is going to be proven way wrong in the future. Sure. Right? And sometimes if you studied the stock deeper, you would adjust that in a big way. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you would adjust it only a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, but Because a lot of times the first little bit you learn about a company gets you most of the way to what your, your guess would be, especially in cases that are really obvious and useful. Interesting. Perfect. I think it's a good place to stop. Okay. Uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning into the podcast today. And if you want to reach out to Jeff or myself or asking us questions uh, about you know pretty much whatever investing related, you can reach out to us on Twitter. My Twitter is at Focus Compound. Jeff's is at Jeff Gannon. Where can they reach you by email? Uh, Gannon on investing at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Well, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, if you do go over to the website, be sure to sign up using the promo code podcast. And they'll get you $10 off your subscription price forever, as long as you don't cancel. Uh, we write about investing ideas. Members are uh, contribute themselves and write about investing ideas. And everybody you know, communicates and sort of just talks about stocks. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we will see you in the next podcast. And Jeff, have a good day.